The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled Taking Aim with the Next Wave of Antibody Drug Conjugates in Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer. Rational Strategies for Addressing the Unmet Needs of Diverse Patient Populations with TROP2 and HER3 Targeting Therapies and Other ADC-Based Regimens. Access the entire activity and complete the post-test at peerview.com forward slash YMP860. Downloadable slides and practice aids are also available. All right. Welcome, everybody. I'm Melissa Johnson, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to Taking Aim at the Next Wave of Antibody Drug Conjugates in Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer. We're going to focus on Trope 2 and HER3. But without further ado, I want to introduce my colleagues who are going to take us through a lot of the data today. There are three colleagues I want to introduce you to. First, Professor Hide Hayashi. He's a professor in the Department of Medical Oncology at Kindai University in Osaka, Japan. I also want to introduce you to Dr. Antonio Passaro, who works in the Division of Thoracic Oncology at the European Institute of Oncology in Milan, Italy. And last, but certainly not least, Dr. Enriqueta Philippe, who's the Section Chief the head of thoracic oncology and a professor of medicine at Valdebran in Barcelona, Spain, also at the University Central de Catalunya. So we got all corners of the globe represented today, and we hope that you enjoy today's presentation. Okay, so here are our three goals for today. We're going to improve your knowledge of the composition, mechanisms of action, rationale for use, and clinical potential of novel ADCs targeting trope 2, HER3, and we'll have a brief mention of others right at the end. We want to improve your awareness of the ongoing clinical trials evaluating these drugs so that when the trials have efficacy data to share, you'll understand where they fit into your clinical paradigm. And we want to improve your skills in integrating these antibody drug conjugates into your clinical practice for treatment of non-small cell lung cancer patients. Okay, so let's jump right in. You know, these days when we talk to our lung cancer patients, we talk to them when they're newly diagnosed about targeted therapy. We talk about immune therapy and we talk about chemotherapy. And all patients, hopefully in your country too, will receive some combination of those therapies. But of course, the truth is that resistance inevitably develops in our patients. We're not yet curing very many people with lung cancer. And so we need to have other options for these patients beyond these frontline standards. So today we're going to discuss how antibody drug conjugates coming along could join the treatment paradigm for these patients. This is one of those slides that you might need to look at a little bit more closely later. But this is evaluating sort of the biomarkers that we use, PDL1 and NGS, for biomarkers like EGFR and HER2 to help assign therapies for our patients in the front line and the second line. We're going to put on this paradigm by the end of the hour the new ADCs. So if you're coming to this session today because antibody drug conjugates are not something available to you in your practice, they took you by surprise at this meeting and you thought, before I go home, I need to make sure that I understand them, you're not alone. This slide details data from a longevity survey that was performed at ASCO this year. On the left-hand side is data from patients that were surveyed, and on the right-hand side, data from doctors, 
surveyed about antibody drug conjugates at that meeting. And what's remarkable is that the majority of patients were not at all or only a little bit familiar with these antibody drug conjugates. And likewise, doctors vaguely understood what they are, but were unsure about who the patients were in lung cancer where these drugs would apply. So you're among friends here. And so let's just jump right into the data. We're going to get to know antibody drug conjugates. Dr. Passaro, can you explain how you think about antibody drug conjugates? Are they targeted therapy or are they systemic therapy, systemic chemotherapy? Thank you, Melissa, for the introduction. I think this is the main question when we discuss about ADC. So ADC is a new class of cancer therapeutics. It's an aura target agents are known as standard chemotherapy, but it's a very complex structure, in which we can see this is a very beautiful cartoon of a review published on lung cancer by Professor Naidu and colleagues, that we have a three main components. So the first is the antibody that is able to interact with the target antigen or cancer cell. The second block is the linker that is one of the most smart structure that is able to interact between the antibody and the drug. And when we discuss about the drug, we have a different kind of names. Generally, when we discuss about ADC, we discuss about the payload. The payload is the very simple definition of the cancer drugs in the past of a chemotherapy agents. And these three components are part of the main structure of the antibody drug conjugates. So in my opinion, it's very important to remind that we are not discussing target agents. Also, if we use this in some driver positive disease, but we are discussing very complex molecules in which, of course, the use of payload of a different kind of number of payload could be one of the most important key options for the future of understanding of the efficacy. Thank you. And Hide, Professor Hayashi, will you explain the importance of DAR? What does it stand for? And how does that build on what Dr. Passaro has told us? Yeah, thank you, Marissa. And DAR, drug antibody ratio, is one of the most important quality parameters of the ADCA. And the DAR is presented as average number of the payload to one antibody. And previously, my First, approved the ADC TDM1 and to approve the breast cancer. DAR was three. Meanwhile, the Trasman Deluxe-Tecan DAR was eight. This difference might be the efficacy difference, I think. Thank you. Dr. Philippe, can you tell us then how these drugs work? Yes, thank you, Melissa. So antibody drug conjugates have a unique mechanism of action. No? These are agents that deliver the cytotoxic molecules to the tumor with high potency and potential less toxicity. And there is also a potential biostandard effect that I'm going to comment. So the antibody engagement leads to payload independent anti-tumor activity with two mechanisms. First, the FC-mediated stimulation of immune cell, so the FC region of the monoclonal antibody component from the ADC can lead the ADCC activity, but also the eruption of receptor demerization and also downstream signaling. An important part is the ADC is internalized in the tumor cells. The payload is released from endosomes and lysosomes and takes it the effect 
of cancer cells leading to cancer cell death. But then there is also the so-called biostandard effect. So the payload may enter to the neighboring cells, regardless of the presence of the target, and can also kill these neighboring cells. So different model of action, targeted cell with delivery of the cytotoxic molecules into the cancer cell and also the biostandard effect. So with that understanding, let's look at this diagram. This comes from a very nice review article, the first author of which is our own Dr. Passaro sitting at the front of the stage. And this details some of the antibody drug conjugates, their targets, their payloads, their DAR. Another good resource for you when you look at these materials later. We have one drug, trastuzumab durextican, that has been approved in the United States for the treatment of lung cancer patients. But of course, our breast cancer colleagues have been using trastuzumab durextican as well as sasetuzumab govotecan for triple negative breast cancer, HER2 positive breast cancer respectively, as well as our bladder colleagues using sasetuzumab govotecan in bladder cancer as well. So there is a lot of opportunity to get experience with these drugs. But Antonio, I have a hard time. I struggle a little bit. We are the poster children for personalized therapy. There's no other tumor type where understanding the tumor of the patient in front of you is more important. But yet, is this a biomarker directed strategy in lung cancer? No. (laughs) So in lung cancer, Moving from the breast, and of course, the first results that was presented for R2 targeting 2, we are discussing today new here of biomarker agnostic strategy. And this is very interesting. Is a biomarker agnostic, why? Because we are not targeting a single cancer driver alteration, in particular in our disease, but we are using the different kind of target, and we can see in this picture that generally have, are overexpressed in the patient with the no small cell lung cancer, also small cell lung cancer. And this is why there is not the need to target at the present time, of course, based on the previous data that evaluate this expression in lung cancer. And this is why we can use maybe in the future the use of different kind of ADC, regardless of the present or not of drug alteration of specific target. And we're going to jump into some specifics, first about trope 2 and then about HER3. Hide, kick us off. Tell us about trope 2. Yeah, okay, Marissa. Trope 2, well known as throhoblast cell surface protein 2, is a transmembrane calcium transducer 2. And trope 2 extracellular domain can form dimers, but their effect of dimerization is not well studied. Trope 2 is highly expressed in non-small cell lung cancer and other types of solid cancer. 64% of adenocarcinoma and 75% squamous cell carcinoma. And the high trope 2 expression is associated with poor prognosis and making it promising therapeutic target assay. Currently, there is no testing recommendation for trope 2, but uh, we can identify by immunohistochemistry. And Antonio, can you introduce us to our two characters here? What are our two antibody drug conjugates targeting trope 2? So I think that this is must, uh, one of the most interesting slides of the deck. Why? So we are discussing the same class of agents for the same target for very, very similar trial design that will be presented later. 
But uh, these are very two different molecules, two different cancer therapeutics. So why? We have a very similar antibody. We have a similar payload, by top of one, top of isomerase one, but we have a different R. We have a different bystander effect from the drugs, and also we have a different uh, timing of release of the payload. So when we discuss about ADC, in particular TROP2, in my opinion, we do not uh, to homogenize our content, our understanding on different kinds of drugs. And here we can see that we have uh, the two main TROP2 under development at the present time, Sashitufzad-Govitegan and uh, Dafotobon-Deruxtegan, that are very, very promising. And the focus, my opinion, one of the main characteristics with a very different DAR. In the DATO, we have a DAR of 4.1, and for Sashiduzum, we have a DAR of 8.1. But it is only one of the differential characteristics of these two kinds of drugs. This is another great resource that you can access online. It is a big overview of the ongoing trials using these two agents in lung cancer. So I'd encourage you to look at it because it gives you the design, it gives you the setting, as well as the estimated enrollment. This is a huge area where together we're figuring out the answer. Enriqueta, will you take us through tropion pan tumor 1? Yes, thank you, Melissa. So the tropion pan tumor 01 is a study including patients with prolapsed refractory metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. The patients were unselected for TROP2 expression, and also patients with a stable treated brain metastasis were allowed to be included. There is a dose escalation, and the maximum tolerated dose established was 8 milligrams every three weeks. And then there are three cohorts of expansion in patients with non-small cell lung cancer. 50 patients were included at a dose of 4 milligrams per kilo every three weeks. 50 patients were included at 6 milligrams per kilo every three weeks. And 80 patients were included at 8 milligrams per kilo every three weeks. So there are other cohorts with patients with triple negative cancer. So you can see there is also in this trial a number of patients included with actionable genomic alterations, mainly EGFR mutations, but not only, after treatment with tyrosine kinase inhibitor. And there was a presentation of the activity of DATO-DXD in this group of patients with actionable genomic alterations previously treated. So 34 patients, the response rate was 35%, and I think a very promising duration of response of 9.5 months. In this analysis, there was a clinical activity in patients with EGFR activating mutations, but also in patients with EGFR exon 20 insertions and patients with ALK, among others. You can see also the waterfall plot with the tumor change, the volume, and also there were activity in the three different doses that we have mentioned. There is also the presentation of the three cohorts in patients with non-small cell lung cancer that I have discussed previously. The recommended dose of DATO-DXD in patients previously treated is 6 milligrams per kilo. 50 patients were included, and I'm going to focus on the activity in this group of patients treated at the recommended dose. So the response rate was 28%. The patient's median duration of response, again, in this scenario, is really promising a median duration of response of 10.5 months. So the response rate was very similar when we compare with 8 milligrams per kilo and 4 milligrams per kilo. You can see also the waterfall plot 
with the vast majority of patients with tumor reduction in the measurable lesions and also the spider plot showing that a durable responses with this strategy. Okay, let's move from efficacy to safety. Antonio, tell us about the safety of this compound in the phase one study. So in this very clear slide, we can see that the data was evaluated in three different doses and toxicity was not significant, as we can see here, with a grade three more or less 50%, and generally with the same toxicity that we are able to identify for patients that receive chemotherapy. The most common was nausea, stomatitis, fatigue, vomiting that was generally well managed in the clinical setting. And starting from this phase one that evaluated the three different doses, the subsequent step was to evaluate the first phase three trial in this particular setting, that is the Tropion Lung 1 trial. That is a trial that is ready to be presented in the next months, that was presented as a press release that showed positive results about progression free survival. And the Tropion Lung 1 is the first phase three trial that evaluate in the biomarker diagnostic strategy the use of ADC here, datopotamol, the Ruxtegan, compared to docetaxel in patients with a previous treated nosmal cell lung cancer without a driver alteration. So I think that this trial will be a part of the history of the development of ADC in lung cancer and maybe will be presented very, very soon. Yeah, this is a highly anticipated study, right? Not just because of the results relative to docetaxel, but this will serve as a good baseline for patients who've been treated with chemo and IO followed by docetaxel, right? What actually happens? Do patients do a little bit better after they've had IO and then have docetaxel? I think this is a very important benchmarking trial for the future. Now, let's switch gears then. If it is positive, then of course... We'll move it up into the front line. Hide, tell us about the initial tropion lung O2, which was the first phase 1B trial to move DATO into the frontline setting for lung cancer patients. Yeah, thank you, Marissa. Tropion lung 02 is the first phase 1 clinical trial about the combination of the DATO DXD and ICI and platinum therapy. This phase 1B study evaluating this combination in advanced non-small cell lung cancer without actionable genomic alteration. Patient was advanced or metastatic non-small cell lung cancer and in those escalation phase, less than second two lines of prior therapy and the dose expansion cohort, less than one line of platinum-based chemotherapy. And consisted of the six cohort and three out of six cohort evaluated the four milligram per kilo data DXD and the another three cohort, six milligram per kilo data DXD. And the all cohort included pembrolizumab therapy, and four out of six cohort included platinum therapy, such as carboplatin and the cisplatin. This is treatment efficacy in all enrolled patients. Double-edged therapy is shown as blue, and the triple therapy is shown red. And confirmed and pending overall response rate was 38% for the double-edged patients, and the 49 patients for triple patients. Disease control rate was 84% and the 87% respectively, and the median duration of response was not reached. Preliminary PFS in all patients, median PFS was double of 8.3 months and the triple of 7.8 months. 
Notably, in Tropian Rang 02, efficacy in the first rice setting was evaluated. Overall response rate was 50% of doublet therapy and the 57% of triplet therapy. And the disease control rate was more than 19%, and the median duration of response was not reached. Enriqueto, what about safety here as we move this up into the front line with immunotherapy and potentially carboplatin? Yes, thank you, Melissa. So in this slide, you can see the safety no, presented in Tropion Lang 02 during the ASCO meeting. So overall, perhaps the most relevant toxicity is stomatitis no, that is present in a similar percentage of patients in the doublet therapy or triplet therapy, but in the majority of cases, grade 1 and 2. Anemia, platelet decrease, diarrhea, and neutrophil count decrease was more frequent in the triplet therapy. Decreased appetite, constipation, vomiting, but as I mentioned, in the majority of cases, grade 1 and 2. The special interest for some adverse events, ILD was seen in 17% of the cases with a doublet combination, but only 3% grade 3 of 4, and 22% with a triplet combination, only 3% grade 3. There are no grade 5 ILD reported in this study. And then there is ocular surface toxicity, again, mainly grade 1 or 2 in 16% of the cases with a doublet, 17 with a triplet combination. As I mentioned, no grade 5 adverse events of special interest were reported. And of course, at this meeting, we have the first report of Tropion Lung 04, part of a session on Sunday. Antonio, give us just broad strokes. You know, we're still unpacking this data, and what are your thoughts about it? The Tropion Lung 04 that was presented here in the last days, I think a very interesting trial design. Of course, the data that was presented are preliminary, but here we are understanding, we're trying to understand if this kind of combination could be evaluate in the future trial in patients with nosmal cell lung cancer. The initial results evaluate patients also in a treatment-naive setting with the combo of DATO plus Durvalumab with two different doses, also with a triplet of DATO plus Durva and Carboplatin. And we can see that the over-response rate for the doublet is more or less at a 50%, with a disease control rate at 92%. And for the court for the quadruplet, we have a disease control rate that's very similar, 92%, with an increasing over-response rate. Of course, these results are too preliminary to understand the impact in patient candidates to receive immune checkpoint inhibitor, where, of course, the efficacy of a PFS and OS are more crucial. But this is the view to understand that we can proceed for this kind of a combination. Of course, here, for this kind of trial of a combination of EDC with immunocheckpoint inhibitors of a combo with the chemo, the safety is one of the most important issues to evaluate. But in this preliminary evaluation, we can see that no major issue was identified for patients that received the combo. And only four cases of ILD was identified, and three of these was a grade one. So I think interesting data to confirm that we can proceed in this way. One interesting question that came in on the chat, Antonio, I'll direct it to you first. What do we know about expression of trope 2 in the patients that have been treated on trials to date? Is it lower or higher based on trope 2 expression? Yes. So in the preliminary evaluation that was developed in the trial with the DATO, we saw that the response was independent from trope 2 expression. 
And the response was very, very similar among patients with a high TWAP2 expression and patients with a low TWAP2 expression. This, of course, is also related to the potency of the drugs, the DAR, and therefore this in the subsequent trial was not considered to evaluate for this kind of drugs the expression of TWAP2 by immunochemistry. Thank you. And Enriqueta, I might ask you this question, another question that came in in the chat. Is there a reason that immune therapy and ADCs should synergize or work together. What do we know about that? Yeah, I think this is an important question. Is there any synergy between ADC and immunotherapy? I would recommend also a review from Antonio in JCO that is mentioning this question. Probably there are some evidence, but will depend of the payload would depend of the factors of each individual ADC. So it's something that I think we need to work more in order to know exactly the best ADCs to be combined with immunotherapy. Yeah, I agree. That's well said. For the sake of time and completeness, we want to make sure to mention the other trope to ADC that actually we've known about for longer. And you see here the similar dose expansion studies looking at two different doses of this molecule in a basket of patients, including triple negative breast and bladder, subsequently leading to their approvals, but also lung cancer. So if we just look at the patients in that initial phase one cohort that were treated with sasituzumab govotecan, we can see a response rate of 16%. This was data that was reported back in 2017 and was really the only data that we had with this compound until this meeting. What do we see in terms of side effects? Some of my colleagues have mentioned this already. ILD has not been associated with this, has been infrequent. We see GI side effects more commonly here, nausea, diarrhea, but notably absent from the list of adverse events on the right-hand side of the slide is the mucositis that is characteristic in DATO-DXD or datapotamab. So right next to the tropion lung 4 data was the Evoke 2 data. This was a trial also in the front line. It evaluated patients in two cohorts based on PDL1. They received Pembro plus Sasituzumab in both cohorts. And again, small data sets, about 60 patients here, and the response rates, including patients who were PDL1 high, response rate of 70%. In PDL1 low, closer to 44% for patients treated with Pembro and Sasituzumab. So, you know, promising and a little different, as Antonio mentioned, and so we await more data here as well. Let's move on to HER3, the target of patritumab durextican. Hide, tell us what we know about HER3. Yeah, thank you, Marissa. I would like to talk about the HER3. HER3 is also known as ARB3, which is one of four ARB family. And the HER3 is expressed in 83% of non-small cell lung cancer. And HER3 overexpression is associated with metastatic progression and decreased relapse-free survival in patients with resectable non-small cell lung cancer. Yeah, HER3 alterations are not known to be a mechanism of resistance to EGFR-TKIs, but our institution detected elevation of the heregrin, uh, that is a HER3 ligand, increase after the progressive disease of TKIs. Given those, targeting HER3 may be relevant across multiple EGFR-TKI resistance mechanisms. And then Antonio, tell us a little bit about the HER3-directed antibody drug conjugate. 
So as discussed by Hida, so HER3 is a not a clear resistance mechanism of patient with EGFR disease of resistance, but is a, a mechanism that is a well known and HER3 is overexpressed in patients with non small cell lung cancer, in particular patients that progress to cancer treatment. So patritima de Ruxigan is one of the most marked ADC that we are evaluating in the last years for patients with non small cell lung cancer, in particular in patients with EGFR FAPOCIDI disease that progress to ozimertinib and where we know there is a high clinical need and of course it is a very competitive field at the present time. And this is a very interesting molecule that's very, very similar to DATO. So we have an antibody with a very effective payload with a cleavable linker. And I think that in the next slide we'll be able to also discuss some very interesting results that was presented during this meeting. Antonio, tell us just the big picture about this table of ongoing trials. So in this very simple table, we can see that for the use of patridumab, we jump from the phase one to the phase three. At the present time, we have one of the most important trials, Yertina line two, that is biomarker agnostic use of patridumab derustigan in patients that progress towards imertinib. And this trial, of course, was developed after the interesting data that was presented also during this meeting for Yertina line one. And this trial maybe will be closer to enrolling in this year. So the Arteno-Line 2 and also the another strategy, for example, evaluating the Mariposa 2 are two of the most upcoming biomarker agnostic strategy in patients with EGFR-positive disease progressing towards imertinib. And here we will be able to understand also the impact of the long-term efficacy for PFS and OS. Hide, tell us about the phase one study that introduced us to pertritumab directicane. Yeah, okay. This slide demonstrated phase one study about patrizumab deruxtecan, phase one dose escalation and the dose expansion study in patients who the previously treated advanced non-small cell lung cancer. This study was consisted of the multi-cohort and mainly focused on the EGFR mutated non-small cell lung cancer. Firstly, those escalation cohort and consisted of the 3.2 mg per kilo to 6.4 mg per kilo. And the dose expansion cohort mainly focused for the patient with EGFR mutated non small cell lung cancer efficacy. Primary outcome is the DLTs and the summary of the adverse events. Recently, update data is demonstrated in the Japanese Society of Medical Oncology meeting. 102 patients received the patrizumab deruxteca at 5.6 mg per kilo and the subset with prior third generation EGFR TKIs. And the platinum based chemotherapy treated patient was 78. Overall response rate was 40.2% and 41.0%. And the disease control rate was at 70%. More importantly, PFS, median PFS was 6.4 months for both arms. And the overall survival was 50.8 months and 16.2 months. Interestingly, patrizumab deruxtecan demonstrated activity in patients with across the diverse resistance mechanisms about the EGFR TKIs, including the secondary mutation or the bypass pathway, including the ARP pathway or the non-ARP pathway. 
And Patrice Van Deluxe Stecker was demonstrated the manageable safety profile and the low rate of discontinuation due to adverse events. Associated with treatment discontinuation frequently was about 11% for the 5.6 mg per kilo and the 9% was for all doses. More than grade 3 treatment related adverse event was 74% and 64% and associated drug induced death was not observed. ILD was one of the key adverse events about the deluxe-second-based ADC and totally 7% in 5.6 mg per kilo cohort was observed, but more than grade 3 ILD was only one patient, and there was no grade 4, grade 5 ILD patient was not observed. And the types of adverse event was generally myelosuppression and the GI toxicity. Thank you. So here's some more data that was reported at this meeting, the Herthina Lung 1 trial. I won't belabor this schema, only to say that a couple different strategies for dosing were explored. An titration in an effort to get rid of nausea was contrasted with a fixed dose. And so, Helena, you reported the results in 225 patients, quite a large data set for a single arm trial. And she reported 30% for patients, anti-tumor activity for patients. All patients in this trial, I should have said, were EGFR mutated. All patients had had progression on a TKI and platinum at a minimum. So these are third-line patients with a 30% response rate, pretty impressive disease control rate. Look at the disease, the duration of response. Another question that came in in the chat is, great, these drugs are potent, but do they have durability? I believe that we're starting to see that that's the case. Some of the frontline trope 2 data is still really immature. We'll have to continue following that. Patients in this trial had a median PFS of five and a half months, pretty great without progression as well as uh, median overall survival of a year. And likewise, just as Hide told us from the phase one, this drug works in patients irrespective of their mechanism of resistance to their prior TKI. And so that's very important because it means that it is likely to be a therapy we can use in many of our patients. Enriqueta, tell us about the CNS data that was reported in this trial. Yeah, one of the questions is, are these ADCs active in CNS? So these are big molecules. So I think it's really interesting in the presentation and also during the publication in JCO concomitantly yesterday that there are 30 patients that had brain metastasis at baseline without prior radiotherapy. So these are patients untreated for brain metastasis and were treated with patritumab deruxtecan and the response rate was 33% and also a very good median duration of response of 8.4 months. So there are also in the paper and the presentation and examples of the responses of these brain metastases. There were seven patients included with a measurable lesion and also with a partial response in two of the cases. So I think, yeah, we have seen activity in CNS. We have seen also our breast cancer colleagues activity in CNS metastasis with trastuzumab deruxtecan in patients with breast cancer. No? So there is a growing evidence that these agents are also active in presence of CNS metastasis. And also perhaps toxicity, you know, to mention, because here 
more than 200 patients were treated with this agent. And again, the most important toxicities, including nausea, bad grade one, thrombocytopenia, decreased appetite, neutropenia. But again, when we have results in more than 200 patients, in this case, ILD was seen only in 5% of the cases and in majority grade one and two. So well-treated agent in this scenario. You know, there were several other exciting data sets presented at World Lung in 2023, and we would be remiss not to include them here, especially because two of them were antibody drug conjugates with great promise for non-small cell lung cancer. The first is TDXD or trastuzumab durexican. Many of you will be familiar with this agent. It's already FDA approved in breast cancer, both for HER2 expressing and HER2 low breast cancer, but we're also using it in lung cancer for HER2 mutated lung cancers. Now in the TDXD Destiny Lung O2 update that was reported by Passayani and colleagues at World Lung 2023, this dataset looked at two different doses, 5.4 milligrams per kilogram and 6.4 milligrams per kilogram. As you might expect, the response rate was a little higher for the higher dose, 49% for patients treated at 5.4, 56% for patients treated at 6.4 milligrams per kilogram. Likewise, the duration of that response, 16 months for patients that were treated at 5.4 and not yet reached for patients that were 6.4. We also saw encouraging PFS and overall survival data at World Lung, 9.9 months for patients treated at the lower dose, 15 months for patients treated at the higher dose, and pretty similar overall survival, 19.5 months at 5.4 and not yet reached with a lower bound of 12 months for patients treated at the higher dose. So I think this data is particularly important, especially as we see a little bit of a trend towards more toxicity at the higher dose, as we would expect. But we see higher grade three and higher adverse events and almost 50% associated with dose interruptions, much of the time nausea, some alopecia, some fatigue. Likewise, ILD rate a little bit higher for patients at the higher dose. So the ability to use either dose based on the adverse event profile that your patient is experiencing is super important and I think critical to the best use of this molecule. More to come here, but this is of course FDA approved for patients with HER2 mutated lung cancer already. And so more data will unquestionably follow. One last antibody drug conjugate to be aware of from World Lung 2023 was ifenatumab durextecan or IDXD for refractory small cell lung cancer. Now, IDXD is a B7H3 directed antibody drug conjugate. It's been examined for a number of tumor types in a large phase one study, including small cell lung cancer, but also metastatic prostate cancer and other squamous cancers, including squamous lung and squamous esophageal. At World Lung, we reported a 52% response rate with almost six months duration of response, as well as a median PFS in a 5.6 months and a median overall survival of 12.2 months. Now, this was a small data set. It included 21 patients that were part of the phase one experience that happened to have small cell. So we'll need more data to understand exactly where this fits in the lineup with other drugs. 
But suffice it to say, some elements of promise are that the patients that were treated in this trial, many of them had prior topoisomerase inhibitor, either topotecan or arenotecan, and still response rate was a healthy 50%. This drug is well tolerated with some amount of nausea, fatigue, anemia, decreased appetite, and constipation that were all manageable. And so I look forward to the development of IDXD, certainly in second and third line small cell, as well as in other tumor types. And further reports can be anticipated at future meetings. There's a lot of great questions that have come in from this audience. I might just go down the line rapid fire with a few of them. I'll start with Antonio. Is there a washout period before we can use antibody drug conjugates after immunotherapy, for example? Yeah, this is one of the most important questions now. So we have a limited data to understand this, but of course we need to focus more on the safety to understand these potential sequences. We can see also in the KRAS area whether we use a TGI and then immune checkpoint inhibitor. At the present time, we have no safety signals to consider that this is an issue, but of course we need more robust data because we are discussing our preliminary data in this field. Hide question for you. How about should ADCs be used in combination with targeted therapies or should they be used sequentially for patients with targeted oncogenes? Yeah, I think there is no available data about the combination of the ADC and the radiotherapy, I think. But that depends on the radiation site. ADC demonstrated lung and toxicity sometimes, so lung radiation therapy combined with ADC should be taken care of. But there is no data currently. Here's a question. Maybe we'll go to Enriqueta for this one. If we don't yet have biomarkers that predict for response to therapy, how are we going to decide which patient to give which ADC? What factors could we look for in our patients that might predict for benefit? Again, this is an important uh, aspect to discuss. Uh, if so that have uh, the, it's not a biomarker, but those patients with HER2 mutations, in fact, we know that the results with trastuzumab deruxtecan are very good, and you mentioned it's approved by FDA and hope to be approved soon by IMA, no, in patients previously treated. Uh, I think uh, these are agents that is a smart chemotherapy, but at the end is a directed chemotherapy in the tumor cells, no, and we have worked with chemotherapy for years without uh, knowing a potential biomarker, no? So I think it's important uh, probably to, to, to know, as uh, mentioned, the characteristics of each ADC and also to analyze the results presented in the trials and the site. At present, we have the results of trastuzumab uh, deruxequan in HER2. We have also the results that we have commented uh, of that of potomab deruxequan in patients previously treated and also this scenario of uh, patients uh, with EGFR mutations and acquired resistance. But in the future, why not we can give the sequence of these ADCs in a given patient. No? So yeah, a lot of uh, studies to, to be done. And here's another question. Maybe if we have time, I'll ask all three. I'll start with Antonio, though. Look forward five or 10 years in the future. Are antibody drug conjugates part of frontline therapy? Are they part of second-line therapy? Where do you think that they ultimately will reside? So we discussed that we had the beginning of the era of ADC, but more or less are more 30 years that ADC was evaluated in cancer therapeutics. But now we have a very different kind of 
molecular technology. So I'm sure that this kind of agents will be the standard of care for the treatment of small cell lung cancer, replacing more or less all the chemotherapy agents. But I think that we need the time to focus to understand better biology and, of course, efficacy. So today we discussed that for this kind of data, we do not need a biomarker, but all the ADC are very, very different. So I think that we need to evaluate one by one and to focus on the real efficacy in this particular heterogeneous disease as a lung cancer today. Hide, any thoughts? Yeah, I fully agree with Antonio. And as Dr. Enriqueta said, ADC sequence is a very, very interesting strategy, I think. In Japan, uh, Torasumam Deluxtecan is uh, already approved for the patient with a heart mutation. And there are many, many patients receive the Torasumam Deluxtecan. And the clinically, I think that we can select the types of ADC according to toxicity profile because the toxicity profile is different between the types of ADC, and maybe types of the payload or the types of the antibody. For example, Sashitsumam Gobitekan demonstrated the diarrhea, uh, high number of diarrhea, where Deluxtecan based ADC demonstrated GI and the lung toxicity. Of course, we must manage the toxicity more and more. Yeah, thanks. And what about you, Enriqueta? Other ideas? No, I think I agree with all the comments. Perhaps also we have to learn in the future about potential mechanisms of acquired resistance of these agents, no? And also uh, the potential integration, no? Even in patients with early stage disease, no? Okay, here's a good one for you. Our patient with newly diagnosed metastatic non-small cell lung cancer is found to have no actionable genomic alterations based on NGS. PDL1 level is 70%. She began first line carboplatin, pemetrexid, and pembrolizumab with a partial response and continued maintenance pemetrexid and pembrolizumab, but after only three months, developed progression of disease in the liver. What do you recommend next for this patient? With the time remaining, I'm, I might ask each of our panelists for some parting thoughts about antibody drug conjugates, maybe how you could talk to a patient about these therapies, how we might incorporate biomarkers in the treatment of patients with antibody drug conjugates in the future and taking into account different patient profiles. Where might you find that you're using these drugs the most? So I'll just go down the line. Sorry, Antonio. Actually, maybe we'll start with Enriqueta this time and so that she has the, the hardest job. <laughs> and then we'll go this way. I agree with the idea to evaluate this patient for a clinical trial. If a phase three, the control arm will be docetaxel, so two answers are in the same situation. But in my opinion, for a patient that relapsed very, very fast after chemo IO, I think that a tissue biopsy and a concomitant liquid biopsy could be useful to understand if some specific trial would be the key for this kind of patient. So I agree with the prioritize this patient for a clinical trial, potential with the ADC according to the trial, but I will be prioritized for a tissue biopsy, not for this trial, but to understand more about this tissue, the liquid, the heterogeneous of the disease. Yeah, first of all, let's see the uh, results about the tropion rank 02, the results next month. But yeah, yeah, I fully agree with Antonio. And the, uh, additionally, I think the rated biopsy is also the option to detect single biomarker because new technology about, for example, CTC in detecting and the IHC for CTC is underdeveloping. 
And the clinical factor is also important. Clinical factor means types of histology or the with or without AGA. Uh, yes, I think discussing with the patients potential opportunity for clinical trials is always a good option. In this case, it's important that, that the patient had a NGS, a diagnosis, and there were any molecular alteration. But yeah, I think this, for example, in my country, we have uh, still problems to have access to NGS. And, you know, it's important to know that the patient has no other actionable molecular alterations. I think we are, uh, yes, we, we want to see the results of the randomized phase three trial, no? Because docetaxel is what we have used, no? But it's true that it's a toxication and with a limited outcomes for the patients, no? Yeah. Now we have a patient with EGFR-mutated lung cancer, receives osimertinib, followed by platinum chemotherapy, and then develops further disease progression. Repeat biomarker testing doesn't show MET amplification, doesn't show C797S. What do you recommend to this patient? This is a little bit of a trick question, right? Because patients who have an EGFR mutation, who've had TKI and platinum are also eligible for trope two. It's going to be an area of active investigation, which of those you use, but certainly pertritimab durextecan today is likely the best answer. Okay. And with that, we're going to finish our session. So thank you again for joining us. Join me in thanking my panel here for a great job. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash YMP 860. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo Incorporated.